All right, let's get now to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we are in verse 10. And we've only got 30 verses to go to finish the chapter. Uh, who knows if we can do it today, but we'll, we'll give it a shot. Let's read, uh, starting in verse 10, I'm just going to read uh, smaller sections for you. Let's read uh, verses 10, 11, and 12 together. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 10. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so, you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Father, we just ask that you would today just open our eyes, open the eyes of our understanding, illuminate your word to us by the power of your spirit, reveal Christ to us in this word. Reveal, Lord, your body, the church, and what it means to be a part of that body. And Lord, that you've given us the privilege and the power, Lord, to build up this body that we have been joined to, made a part of by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. So what I want you to immediately see here is what Paul declares in verse 11. Let it be for edification of the church that you seek to excel. Now remember the Corinthians are talking about, Paul's writing about spiritual gifts. There's fussing, fighting, jealousy over the gifts. They're all pursuing gifts. The beginning of this chapter, Paul says, don't pursue gifts, pursue love. Desire spiritual gifts, but pursue love. So go after, press toward love, but, but don't go after and press toward spiritual gifts. Be open to the gifts. And if God distributes to you, if he wills to give you that gift, be open to it and operate as God gives you that manifestation. But if you're going to pursue something, if you're going to go after something, don't let it be spiritual gifts. Go after love. Press toward love. Take action to love. Don't take action to manufacture gifts. And so, again, there is this theme throughout this chapter Paul is over and over and over and saying, if you're going to do anything, do it to build up the body. So we come here together. We assemble together. We don't forsake assembling together, not because we're afraid we're going to go to hell if we don't. But if we understand that we are the body, that we have been joined to one another in Jesus Christ, there should be a joy and a desire for us to assemble together. And the purpose of our assembling together is not just for our personal edification, it is for the edification, for the building up of one another. Amen? So we should seek to excel in building up the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 29 through 31 remind us, not all are apostles, not all are prophets, not all have the gift of tongues, not all has, have the gift of healing, not all perform miracles. So not everyone has all the gifts, right? Different ones have different gifts as he wills. And so it reminds us that our desire should be in him, and in him we should seek to excel in building up the body. It's not about what gift I have or I don't have, but I have been made a member, a part of the body. And so my greatest desire, what I should seek the most, is the building up of the body. So our desire should be 
for that, we're commanded to pursue love, but to desire gifts. And we're commanded to seek to excel in edifying the church. So if we rightly divide the word of God, we're going to see that to build up the body and to magnify the name of Jesus is going to be the chief thing. This should be our chief desire. This is our chief aim in coming together as the body of Christ. Verse 13 Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray in the spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. So he says up there, he says, pray, pray that you may, what, if, you, if you're going to speak in tongues, pray that you would interpret. So he says, when we pray in a tongue, pray that he may interpret. If we're going to speak in a tongue, pray that he may interpret. Why? Because unless I can interpret, no one's going to understand what's being said, and no one's going to be edified. So this word tongues is a word that means languages. So if it helps you to understand languages instead of tongues, you say, well, what kind of language? Are we talking Spanish? Are we talking, um, you know, Afrikaans? You know, I get to hear Afrikaans a lot because I hang around Marlene Sunette, don't understand what they're saying. I don't speak Afrikaans, you know. They're always nice enough to interpret for me if there needs to be an interpreter, interpretation there, right? So I can be edified and built up. So if you, if you need to think of tongues as languages, think of tongues as languages because that's what it means, okay? Could it be a heavenly tongue? Hey, I don't have a problem with that. But here's Paul's point. Whether we're talking earthly tongues or heavenly tongues, if you're going to speak in a tongue, no one's going to understand you. So don't do it in a corporate public setting where you're going to create confusion. If you're going to speak in a tongue, then make sure there's an interpreter. So when I go to Mexico, we make sure there's an interpreter so that when I preach in English to those people who only speak Spanish, they can be edified, otherwise they won't understand what I'm saying. So instead of let's getting hung up on, you know, tongues or not tongues, is it real, is it not real, let's focus on what Paul is focusing on here, and this is, when we come together as the body, let's make it our aim to build up the body. If you believe that the gift of tongues is still real today, I don't have a problem with that. I actually do believe it's still real today. But there is a right way and a wrong way to exercise or to operate or to use that gift. And Paul's point is, in the corporate setting of the church, our aim is to edify. So we need to pray that we may edify the body. This was the error of the Corinthian church. They thought that their much operating in gifts made them spiritual when in reality they were not spiritual because they didn't display fruit. They didn't display love. So we can get up here and speak in tongues all day long and think that we're very spiritual because we do that. 
But I'm not really being very loving to you, am I? Because I'm not really edifying you. I'm not really building you up. So our aim should be to edify the body. That should be our prayer. So why am I speaking you to, to in, why am I speaking to you today in English? Anyone here not speak English? Because we all speak English. The most effective way for me to build you up is to, is to speak to you in the language that we all understand. There's no need for me to get up here and speak to you in tongues. Because there would be no edification. So let's do, this is why Paul says, I'd rather speak to you five words in a known language than 10,000 words in an unknown language. So we all know the language, so let's use the language that's going to maximize the ability for the church to be edified. So pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, pray and seek to excel in building up the church. Verse 18, we're going to read from verse 18 to verse 25. So if you have a Bible, you guys get in the habit of bringing your Bibles, okay? Verse 18, I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes. But in understanding be mature. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet for all that they, yet, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore tongues are for a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so, falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. So the first thing I want you to notice is that Paul says that we need to be mature when it comes to understanding. But when it comes to malice, we need to be babes. So we need to be mature in understanding, in our understanding of the church and in our understanding of the gifts and how they operate and function together. He said, I'm thankful that I speak in tongues more than you all, but I would rather speak five words in a known language than 10,000 in a tongue that no one understands. So in the corporate setting of the church, teaching is more profitable than tongues. The Corinthian church didn't get this. They thought because of their speaking in tongues, it displayed their spiritual their spirituality because they had these gifts operating. Paul says, no, you've got it wrong. Teaching is more important. It's more profitable because teaching will edify the body, but tongues is not going to bring edification. It's really only going to bring confusion. 
So spiritual gifts and their distribution and their operation should never be an issue that divides the body of Christ. On the contrary, they should build up the body of Christ. Brethren, do not be children in understanding, however, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. So maturity should rule over immaturity. Amen? And understanding should rule over malice. What's malice? Malice is a word that means wickedness. So we shouldn't practice wickedness toward one another. So this is kind of what was happening in the Corinthian church because there was this division. They were basically chastising those who didn't have what they thought were the superior gifts. And there was this class system that began to be set up in the church, a pecking order, if you will. And those at the bottom of the pecking order were being picked on, kind of like my dogs do with each other, right? There's always a dog at the bottom of the pecking order. Well, Paul says, look, we're not dogs. This, we, we don't have a pecking order here. Our purpose is to be joined in one, to be joined in unity in, in, as the body of Christ under the headship of Jesus Christ. And our purpose is to come together and build one another up, not tear one another down. And so he says, in malice, you guys need to be babes. In understanding, you need to be mature. It's an important exhortation. It's an important thing for us to understand. So we need to exercise maturity and, and understanding when it comes to these things. Now we get to a difficult passage, verse 21. Let's look at this. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Then he says in verse 24, Therefore, tongues are a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Prophesying is not for believers, but for those who believe. So how are we to understand this? Tongues are for a sign, so we need to understand that. Tongues are for a sign, Paul says. To who? To unbelievers. But prophesying is for those who believe. So tongues were not given for the edification of the corporate body. That's why Paul says, unless there's an interpreter, we should not be speaking in tongues in the corporate body. Tongues were not given for the edification of the corporate body. Teaching is for the edification of the corporate body. Tongues is for personal edification. Paul quotes Isaiah 28, 11, and 12. This is Isaiah prophesying the coming judgment against, against Israel. He's prophesying this judgment, and, and basically what he said is, I've sent my prophets to declare to you in a language you understand to repent and turn back to me, but you will not heed the words that you can understand. Therefore, I'm going to send men who are going to speak to you in a language you will not understand, and you're going you're gonna to know this is my judgment. It's really kind of a, a negative thing. It's a dire thing. This is the context of this verse. So what in the world does it have to do with, with us in the church? 
So tongues were given not for the edification of the corporate body. And so these verses in Isaiah 28, 11, and 12 that are quoted in verse 21 speak of judgment upon unbelieving Israel. It was the sign of hearing the unknown language of their conquerors that signified God's judgment. So a body of people all speaking in unknown tongues would be disturbing and insane and anything but edifying not to mention it is unscriptural. That was not a sign to build a, and edify a body. It wasn't meant for that setting. Paul, in a very practical way, says if somebody walked in off the street and all of you are babbling in an unknown tongue, they're going to think you're crazy. Because in Israel's history, that sign meant God's judgment. That sign didn't speak of edification. So when Paul quotes this in his letter, these Jews understand exactly what Paul is saying because they know what Isaiah proclaimed. He's quoting from the prophet. So what's he saying? He's saying, Don't, this gift is not for what you're using it for. You're not more spiritual because you're all up here babbling in an unknown tongue. You're sending the wrong message. You're sending an opposite message. Well, how do we send the right message? Well, he says prophecy is for the believer. Now, think about this in terms of the scripture out of Isaiah. God sent Isaiah. Remember Jeremiah? God sent Jeremiah. He sent the prophets, and he spoke to them in a language they could understand. And those who heeded the message of God, what were they? They were believers, right? So if I preach the gospel to you in English and you respond to that, you're a believer. Those who responded to the message of the prophet in the language they understood, they believed. They repented. Those who didn't respond were unbelievers. So what did God do? He sent some other guys it's like, you don't listen to my words anyway, so it doesn't really matter whether you understand what I'm saying, so I'm just going to show you through my actions. These guys are going to come with unknown tongues, and you're going to know it's my judgment. I'm still speaking to you. You just can't understand it, but you're going to get the message one way or the other. But for those who heard and understood and believed, they, they were believers. So this is Paul's point. Prophecy is for those who believe. So on the other hand... Prophecy is given specifically for the edification of the church. The prophesying of God's word to believing hearts inspires repentance and faith and builds up the body of Christ. The prophesying of God's word, the preaching of the gospel, whether it's through, remember, teaching a premeditated message that I've worked up, I'm teaching you today. But I can also prophesy to you. God can bring something spontaneous to my mind that I can declare to you. But the point is, I'm going to declare it to you in a way that you can understand it, in a language you can understand it. And if you will receive it and believe it, it will edify you. It will cause the body. It will inspire repentance. It will inspire faith. And it will build up the body. That's what prophecy is for. That's why Paul says, if you're going to desire spiritual gifts, desire especially that you may prophesy, because then you can build up the body. If you're going to speak in tongues, don't do it in the corporate setting unless 
there's an interpreter because you're just confusing people because no one's going to understand what you say. So tongues are for a sign to unbelievers, but prophesying is for those who believe. So if we embrace the Spirit's instruction in the Scripture, it will be reported that God is truly among you, for the Spirit's work will bring the manifestation and the knowledge of Christ. So we trust the Spirit that He knows. I trust that because we all speak English today, I don't feel compelled to try to work up something to speak to you in tongues. I can speak to you in English, declare to you the Word of God, teach, preach, and you learn, and we all learn together what the Scripture says, and the body will be built up. If God decides He wants to do something different, then hey, let's be open to that. But He's never going to do anything different that's going to go outside the bounds of His Word, what He has taught us in Scripture. Amen? All right, verse 26. Man, we're moving. We're doing pretty good, okay? 26 through 33. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation? Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the gifts of in this. I'm sorry, and the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So what I want to focus on here is Paul's statement, let all things be done for edification. So seek that you may excel in building up the body, he says. Pray that you would be able to edify the body. Let all things be done for edification. Do you see Paul is very repetitive here? He is emphasizing this is about building up the body. Now, this very first verse, the very beginning of this, how is it then, brethren, question mark, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching. I don't know about you, but you can read that in a way where Paul is questioning, how, how is it you guys have a teaching in a psalm? In a, that's, that's not what Paul, Paul's not questioning the fact that they all come together with, with one of those. I, I, you may not read it that way, but for me, when I read that, I can get the sense that Paul is saying, how is it then, brethren, when you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. How do you guys do that? That's, that's not really, the, that's not Paul's tone in this. So another way we could say this a more literal translation would be, how therefore does the matter stand, brethren? Or the amplified version says, or what then, brethren, is the right course? And then Paul gives them the right course. Whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm. So each of you, Paul's instructing the church here on the proper and the improper order of things when the corporate body comes together. 
Each of you has a psalm. We sing songs together. Now, most of you don't come to church with a song to sing to, to, to us. But here's what I would say, or here's a question I would ask you. Do you come here with a song in your heart? Do you come to this place Do you come to gather with the corporate body on Sunday morning with a song in your heart to the Lord and for one another? Do you know if in the course of our worship service, what if someone was to get up and say to Caleb as he's up here leading worship, Caleb, I just just feel like we as a congregation today should sing Amazing Grace. I just have this overwhelming sense of God's grace. And I want us to just sing about God's grace to one another. Could we do that? I would submit to you that we could do that. Would that be the rule or would that be the exception? I'd say that that might be the exception. But can we come together and have a song? I think we should come with a song in our heart first and foremost for the Lord. Or do you come here and maybe you have a song in your heart? Do you look at someone? I've had people tell me this before. You know, I was in church last week and I just really felt I was supposed to go to so-and-so and and just give them this word of encouragement, but I didn't do it. And my question to them was, why didn't you do it? If you felt like you had a word of encouragement for someone, why didn't you go and give them that word of encouragement? I'm not saying be weird and be wacky, but have you ever just been... And you see someone that you know and you just feel like, man, I just, I just feel like giving them a hug or I just feel like I need to encourage them. You just go up to them and say, you know, I don't know what's going on, but I just want to encourage you. Be encouraged in the Lord. God loves you. God knows. Are we conscious? Are we, are we conscious of one another to that degree that we're, we come here with a song in our heart? And that when we sing together our songs, we are singing to one another. We should be singing to one another. As we sing to the Lord, we should be singing to one another these songs that are full of truth and encouragement. We are the body. We're joined to Him. This is part of why we come together. You're not just singing by yourself to the Lord so that you can by yourself get something from the Lord. We are commanded to come together, to sing to one another, to encourage one another, to build up one another. That is part of our worship. Man, that is worship of the Lord. There is nothing God desires more than that his body would build itself up in love. That means we've got to be conscious of one another. That's why you should sing loud. That's why, clap your hands. I appreciate Frankie's always clapping his hands, you know. Clap your hands. It's okay to clap in church. You want to dance? Go ahead and dance. I don't care. God doesn't either. I mean, we should, we should just, our hearts should be filled with something that we want to just release to God, but also to one another. This is about building the body up. This is, listen to Paul. All through this, he's saying, you guys come together to build one another up. 
This isn't about you. This is about the body. You're not here to get edified personally. You're here to edify one another. He's over and over and over emphasizing this. Please don't miss what he's saying here. So he says, man, when you come together, have a song for one another. Sing together. When you come together, have a teaching. Listen, we receive sound teaching together. I do my best to teach you as soundly as I can. That's why I try to not deviate from the scripture as much as possible. Because my opinion really doesn't count for anything. I have a, you, you guys haven't noticed, I have a lot of opinions about a lot of things. Okay, and I don't mind sharing them sometimes. Especially if you're at my house on Friday night sitting around the table, I'll tell you my opinion about a lot of things. But my opinion counts nothing. It is the scripture. Only as my opinion lines up with the scripture. And we can even debate whether it really does or not. That's okay. But listen, this is the Supreme Court. This is the final arbiter of all things right here, the scripture. So when we come together, we need to receive sound teaching together. They, every time you come together, whenever you come together, brother, each of you has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. When we come together, we need to be open to the Spirit's manifestation. If, someone, if, if you feel like God impresses something upon your heart for someone else, don't withhold that. And if someone comes to you and says, I feel like God's impressed this, I want to share this with you, whoever's receiving that, you just make sure it lines up with the word. If it's just a general word of encouragement, what harm have we done? I mean, how have we harmed someone if we go to them and say, you know, brother, I love you, praying for you. I just want you to know that. Have we harmed our brother or our sister if we do that? No, we haven't. We may encourage them tremendously if we do that. So what I'm saying is be sensitive to those. I'm not saying you got to go predict their future. This is where we need to get out of wackiness. Okay? This isn't about I'm going to predict your future and tell you uh, no. But the Bible says we should come together with a mind to encourage one another. To build one another up. So we need to be open to the manifestation of the Spirit. Let all things be done for edification. So we do all things in a way that edifies all. When we come together, we need to do all things here in a way that edifies all who are here. Amen? If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three. Sub, subcategory here. If there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others judge what is spoken. Let two or three prophets speak, let the others judge. So what is spoken is to be judged, and all these guidelines require maturity and godly character. Here's another subcategory under prophets. Let two or three speak. Paul says, if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. So just picture in your mind three guys sitting here and they come in chronological order and the first guy gets up and says, I've got a, come see the pastor, I've got a prophecy, ready to give it to the church. Okay, we'll go have a seat over there. You know, you got three guys. Guy number four comes to me. He says, 
hey, I, I've got a word I think I, I, is for the body of Christ. So I say, okay, well, you, you take that first guy's spot and you go ahead and share it. Get, you know what the first guy's going to do? Hey, I was here first. He was last. Hey, I've, I've been waiting this whole time to share. And you're not going to let me share? What does Paul say? Let the first guy keep his mouth shut and let the other guy come and speak. Do you understand why it takes maturity? Why Paul says we need to be mature? Because we don't even have that, those kind of things going on and we got people that get offended over the, the silliest things. Can you imagine if I, had, if I had four prophets here who all wanted to talk to the church and I told the first guy that's been waiting the whole time and I said, sorry, you're not going to get to speak? I actually had a self-proclaimed prophet leave the church because he didn't think I let him speak enough. Seriously. Now, what, based on what Paul is telling us, what is that a sign of? It's a sign of immaturity. It's a sign of immaturity because what is our purpose for being here? Is it so that the prophet can get a name? So that you can go, wow, he prophesies really good. He should start his own ministry. Is that, is that, why, we let, is that why we want gifts to? No. What is the purpose of the gifts? Paul says the purpose of the gift is to build up the body. It has nothing to do with the individual. The individual needs to be invisible. What's important is, is Christ being exalted and is the body being built up. And if there's not a level of maturity within the body, that's, that's not going to happen. All right? So if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. So these men were not speaking. Listen, they, these men, I believe, were not speaking the infallible words of God, but communicating fallible, spontaneous promptings from God in their own words and understanding. Otherwise, Paul would never have told those prophesying the very and infallible words of God to keep silent. So my point is, this gift of prophecy that he talks about, those people who were prophesying were not prophesying the very infallible words of God. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So the operation of spiritual gifts should never cause confusion, but peace should reign in the church among the saints, as all things should be for the building up of the church. Amen? Now we get to my favorite verse in the Bible. No, I'm just teasing. Well, see, I think I'm going to go ahead and do it because I only have 10 minutes, so I'm going to have to rush through it real quick. No. <laughs> now, I joke, but, you know, now this, this is, verse is a really good example, I think, of how people take the Bible out of context and uh, twist it to their own. So I'm going to tell you, this really is a very controversial section of Scripture, and so I'll, I'll give you what I believe the Scripture is teaching here, and uh, we may agree to disagree. So, verse 34, let's go there. Read, we'll read 34 to the end of the chapter. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. All the men's ears just perked up. Right? All you guys who were kind of sleepy, you just kind of, oh, what, what's he, whoa, 
well, better listen to this. Y'all all, I, I could sense it in the air. You all perked up right there. Or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it you only that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. It probably would have been a little better for you had I just when he really read from 26 to the end of the chapter because that this is not a disconnected thought. I believe this is a connected thought that Paul is writing about here. He is still writing about how to do all things decently and in order. He is still writing about how to do things in a way that are going to bring about the edification of the body of Christ. So here's what I want you to to see first off is the last verse of this chapter, verse 40. Let all things be done decently and in order. And I believe that phrase of verse 40 sums up Paul's thought and his instruction in the context of of this whole section, this whole chapter that he's dealing with, this whole phrase, decently and in order. It's in this context that we need to understand Paul's position on spiritual gifts. And we also need to understand Paul's statement in verse 34, let your women keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak, but to be submissive as the law says. So if we don't understand Paul's thought process of let all things be done decently in order, I think we'll misunderstand what Paul is saying here. So what about verse 34? Let your women keep silent. This raises the question. Here's the question. Is Paul forbidding women from uttering words in the church? Because it says, let your women keep silent in the churches. So does that mean Paul is saying, let your women never utter a sound inside the church? There, there is no way that we can say that that's what Paul's saying. We, we can't do that. I know some of you guys wish that's what we could do, but really you don't. You don't wish that. I'm being facetious. So let's look at some examples here. We've already been through 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians 11, 5 says, but every woman who prays or prophesies, he's giving guidelines on praying and prophesying. Women who pray and prophesy, they need to have a head covering. We went over all that, what that means. Uh, obviously, none of you ladies are wearing hats today, so you, you understood that today you don't have to wear a veil or a hat, right? But we do need to understand that there is such thing as headship in the divinely created order of God, and we need to respect that and honor that in all things. Okay, so women could pray and women could prophesy in the church. He also uh, alludes to that in verse 13 of chapter 11. So this verse indicates that Paul expected women to both pray and prophesy in the church, but they were to do so decently and in order, respecting the headship and divine order God ordained at creation. So what does Paul mean? Why did he say this? Is he contradicting what he wrote in chapter 11? No, he's not. 
Women, here's what he's saying. What is the context of this chapter? If we went from verse 29 to the end of the chapter, we see the context here. He's dealing with prophets, prophesying in the church. And what did he say? When someone prophesies in the church, what's to happen? Their words are to be judged. So this isn't about uh, prophet Billy Bob over here who's the self-proclaimed prophet, and he gets up and he says, thus saith the Lord, and, and we just stand over here and, and we just say, oh, there goes that guy again, man. He's, you know, doing this prophecy thing, and we just kind of pretend like and just let it go. You, that's very unscriptural. The Bible says if someone gets up and prophesies, that word needs to be judged. Well, who's going to judge it? Well, I believe it's going to be the elders The leaders, the overseers of the church need to judge that word. I think a proper rule to have is if somebody wants to address the congregation, they feel like God's oppressed something upon them, they need to come to the pastor or elders and say, Pastor, elder, I I feel impressed to share this with the congregation. And you you give it to the pastor or the elder, see if it bears witness before it shared. That word, we're commanded to judge that word. So in the context of prophesying and judging the words of the prophecy, this this is what I believe Paul is saying. Women could not judge prophecies in the church. The context of these verses is one concerning prophecies and speech that is spoken, that is the spoken evaluation and judging of prophecies within the congregation in a corporate setting. The issue is not that women cannot speak in the church. The issue is that women are not to exercise the authority to publicly judge prophecies in the church. This touches the issue of authority and the divine created order and the headship that God established at creation. Not that men are better than women. but There is a divine created order. And Paul is upholding that order here, just like he does in 1 Timothy 2.11, where he says, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over men. Obviously, Paul let women teach the gospel. Aquila and Priscilla, she taught. But Paul is saying, in a corporate setting, there is a divinely created order And women are not to hold positions of authority over the entire corporate body. That is reserved for men. I I believe 1 Timothy 2 and Titus 2 affirm that. Now, some people take that and say, well, women can't teach in the church. Absolutely not. I mean, we've had women Sunday school teachers. We've had women get up in our pulpit and, and, and teach. But that is not... The same thing as I do not believe there should be women pastors. I'll just, I don't. Now, you can agree to disagree on that, but I believe the Bible teaches that bishops, elders, pastors, shepherds, that is men because that's the qualifications in 1 Timothy 2 and Titus 2 seem to indicate that. There are good people who disagree with me on that, and that's fine. But that's, that's our position. That's our official position as a church. So the way I interpret this certainly is that women are not forbidden to speak in church. I believe women can even teach in church and should teach in church. But this thing of reserving a judgment over a 
public prophecy in a corporate setting, that was for the elders and the pastor, those whom God had set in authority as shepherds over those flocks. Those are the ones that should judge that. There was something else going on here. He says, if, and if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it's shameful for women to speak in church. Now, we need to understand a cultural setting here. Same reason why you ladies aren't wearing hats today, but, but many of you have a wedding ring on, okay? It, same reason why many of you took your husband's name when you got married. So in Corinth, the veil, the head covering, was, was something significant that spoke of headship. Today, we can say a wedding ring uh, the whole thing, the, the way we understand marriage and that type of thing today speaks of that. In that, this setting, in the churches, the men and the women sat separately. Women sat on one side, men sat on another. And what was happening was these women were communicating because it, be, it would be taboo for, for one woman to ask another man. She didn't ask the man closest to her can you explain this to me? Because there was not to be that kind of communication. It was a very different time, a very different culture. So if this wife had questions and the husband was across the room, guess what she would do? She would ask her husband. In, in a very practical matter, Paul is saying, look, if you guys have questions, wait till you get home to talk about it because you talking over the congregation, asking questions is disruptive. It really was a matter of practicality. He wasn't saying that women can't learn in the church. Wait till you get home to teach your women. That's not what he's saying. He's saying all things should be done decently and in order. And it's very hard to conduct a service decently and in order if women are yelling across the room trying to get clarification from their husband. He said to eliminate that problem, just wait till you get home and then you guys discuss it at home. This has nothing to do with women being second-class citizens or sub-par to men. Absolutely not. We spent a lot of time in this when we went through this earlier in this book of the value of women. God created man. God created woman. And one is not less than the other. So I want to be really clear on that. So you ladies, you're welcome to speak in church. Just don't disrupt the service, okay? Men, you're welcome, but the same goes for you. Men, don't disrupt the service. Let all things be done decently and in order. So women were expected, I believe, expected to teach, expected to minister in their proper roles, just like men are, but all things are to be done decently and in order. Verse 37, if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that, that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Paul acknowledges right here that the things he's writing to them are the commandments of the Lord. So Paul's writings are the commandment of the Lord. And if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge and therefore submit to the commands of the Lord. 
contained in Paul's writing, in his letter, but also in the greater work of Scripture. So this applies to us today. So this is why we're reading from the letter to the Corinthians. We believe Paul's letter to the Corinthians was the command of the Lord. We hold it as part of the canon of Scripture, and we are to be submitted to this letter along with all the rest of the Scripture. If we consider ourselves spiritual, then we should be willing to acknowledge and submit ourselves to the Scripture. But if anyone is ignorant, Paul says, let them be ignorant. This is like the old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You, you can't talk someone into believing into Jesus, okay? You can proclaim the Word to them. You can give them the Word. You can demonstrate the Word. You can live the Word. You can be a witness to them, but you cannot make someone believe in Jesus. Please don't try to make someone believe in Jesus. Be a light. Be a witness of the gospel. Love them. Manifest the life, the love of Christ. But if they're going to be ignorant, they're going to be ignorant. If we're not going to submit to the Scripture, to the commands of the Lord, then let them be ignorant. Really, he's talking to, about this in the context of a church setting. So we're not so naive as to think that everyone that comes into the church is saved, right? People go to church on Sunday mornings all the time. Some are saved, some aren't saved. The question is, are we going to submit to the Word of God, the commands of God, the gospel of Christ? Desire earnestly to prophesy Another way to say that is to desire earnestly to build up the church. Don't forbid to speak in tongues. In other words, don't forbid personal edification, but seek to excel in building up the church. We don't pursue personal edification at the expense of building up the body. We don't do that. But we don't forbid personal edification either. If you pray in a tongue, if you pray in the Spirit, those that come from a charismatic Pentecostal background, you say, oh, I, I pray in the Spirit, brother. I, I, fine. Paul is saying, don't forbid those things, but do everything decently and in order. The place to do that's not here publicly in front of everybody because you create confusion. The place to do that is in your own time of personal edification, unless you've got something to say that can be interpreted so that everyone can be edified. Amen? One last scripture and then we're closing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Paul writes, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Do not quench the Spirit. This command tells us that there is a potential for us to quench the Spirit or Paul would not have warned against it. Don't quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecy. This command tells us there, there is a temptation to despise prophecies, which means that there were, and I believe are, prophecies that can be despised. Don't despise prophecies. Test all things. Can you believe what that guy told me? He told me that he felt like God was impressing this on his heart about me, and it made me mad. What should be our advice? Well, don't get mad. Test it. Test it. Because if it's really from the Lord, in time, it'll pass the test. If it's not from the Lord, don't get mad. Don't despise it. 
Pray for the brother. But test all things. Hold fast to what is good. So this command to test all things tells us that we're to test the spirits, we're to test prophecies, we're to hold fast to what is good, and we're to let go of what is false. Amen? The scripture is the final arbiter. It is the supreme court. It is the test of all things right here. Let's all stand. And because of your patience and your grace, we finished 1 Corinthians chapter 14 today. I feel certain your hot dish is very hot right now. And we're going to all go next door, and we're going to have hot dish and bars together. And unless you're from Minnesota, you probably don't know what I mean when I say bars. But that's all they eat up there for dessert are bars. Everything's a bar. All right. Seriously, though, let's just quiet our hearts and our minds for a moment. You say, man, Pastor Jeff, you just went over a huge chunk of Scripture, and I'm like choking. Someone needs to give me the Heimlich right now. Father, I just pray right now that we would not, Lord, we wouldn't be stressed or anxious or worried about what we're not understanding God, we would trust your grace and we would trust your spirit. Lord, to be able to provide the spiritual nourishment that we need. Lord, we've we've read your word. We've preached your word. We've taught your word. And Lord, it's not my ability to explain things well. Lord, it is the spirit's power that will bring revelation. And that's what we pray for, God. That, Lord, we ask right now that you would, by your Spirit, bring revelation of your Word to us. Lord, you know what needs to be revealed. You know what doesn't need to be revealed. And I pray, Lord, for each one of us, we would just trust that you will, in your time, reveal what needs to be revealed in the way it needs to be revealed. That we'll be faithful to receive it, to hear it, to be open to it, And we'll trust that the Spirit will work in us and bring to us the wisdom and the revelation and the understanding that we need as He does His enlightening work in us. Lord, we pray that You would be glorified in Your church. That we would come here week in and week out with a purpose to build one another up, that we would come with a song in our heart for you and a song in our heart for one another, that we would sing to one another, that we would, Lord, endure sound teaching, that we would be diligent, Lord, even when it's hard. Lord, as these things are necessary for us to grow up, I pray, God, that we would be people that are submitted to your word, whether we all agree together or not, that first and foremost, we are submitted to the Scripture. And if the Scripture goes against what I want to believe, what I have believed, that God, you would give us the grace to let go of those things and embrace your truth for your glory. Not for our name, not to prove us right. God, don't prove us right. Prove yourself right. and Prove yourself true to us. Help us, God, to submit ourselves to you. And we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.